You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. If you please open your Bibles uh, to Matthew 6. We'll be reading once again verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning. You may be seated. Good morning, Redemptional Church. It's good to see you all. We do not have Redemptional Kids this morning, but we got our kids' sermon notes in the hallway. And uh, many of you kids know the drill. Fill out your sermon notes. Got the goodies right here. And uh, you can come up after the service, and I'd be happy to let you pick out of that. And also, we have totes in the hallway as well, so I should remind myself to tell you that. Um, If that serves you, you can grab that. We are continuing on in our sermon series in Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. seven. And in this sermon series, I, as you can tell, kind of created a, a mini-sermon series within the sermon series as we've, slow, we've slowed down a lot, we tapped the brakes so that we can go through the Lord's Prayer, piece by piece, verse by verse. And this is not product placement, I promise. I'm not trying to get royalties or whatever, you know. Uh, the Lord's Prayer might be one of the most uh, recited passages in Scripture, along with the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, I know as an as individual who grew up Catholic, you know, every Sunday, recite the Lord's Prayer together, sometimes in the middle of the week, um, and for good reason, right? For good reason. It's in Scripture, the Lord is teaching us how to pray. Uh, perhaps you've, you've noticed the use of the plural throughout the Lord's Prayer. Give us this, our daily bread, verse 11, right? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And today we read, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The corporate uh, nature of the Lord's Prayer helps us to see that the Christian life is not merely an individual journey. We do not pray to God only in isolation. Yes, you should privately pray, right? Jesus addresses private prayer earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. But prayer is a both-and affair. Let's say I worked in the business world, right? And then one day my boss comes up to me and says, Sean, you've done a great job. I'm giving you a promotion, and I'm doubling your salary, right? Now, I've received the promotion, I've received the the bump in pay, but are my children and my wife affected? Absolutely. So pray the Lord's Prayer under your breath when you're driving in the car, right? Uh, Which I do from time to time. Do it on the way to work. And let's, we want to pray, we'll do this at the end of the sermon, we'll pray it together as we've done so 
many times here at Redemption Hill. All these petitions that we've been seeing in the Lord's Prayer are worthy of your attention and prayer. And Jesus says in verse 9 that the Lord's Prayer is this model for how we are to pray. It's not the only way for you to pray. The Bible's full of prayers. The Apostle Paul is, you see in his letters, he's often praying for the church that he's writing to. We got Jesus' prayer in John 17. We can go to the book of Psalms, of course, and see more. But from the Lord's mouth to our ears, this prayer should direct some areas about how we should be praying. We have seen that we pray to a, a gracious and Heavenly Father, verse 9. We pray to a Father with, with reverence and a holy fear. We pray about God's kingdom here on earth. We had, that was, we had a sermon just on that component of the Lord's Prayer. We want earth to progressively look more like heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. We pray about our dependence upon God for spiritual and physical bread. Rob Lane preached that sermon. We approach God in prayer to have the heart to forgive others just as we have been forgiven by God because of Christ. You know, it was last week, right? All And all those topics lead us to today's theme about praying about the temptations we face. One final contextual note before I briefly pray for God's help. The Lord's Prayer is the second of three disciplines that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount. I think over two months ago at this point, Jesus, Jesus taught us how to give. Right? And then we've really looked at how to pray, and then in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about how to fast. These are all disciplines that Jesus is teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't think it's an accident that the Lord's Prayer is smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle. I think there's intentionality there. So with those tidbits in mind, I'm just going to briefly ask for God's help um, because I want to be faithful to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. It is good and instructive for us. And this morning, I want my friends in front of me to hear from you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So instruct their hearts. Help me to be faithful to what you have already spoken and what you continue to speak. Pray this in the only name we could pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a big, big fan of the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, I got a couple woos, yeah. Uh, Yes, I'm like, I'm mostly entertained by action. (laughs) Like... uh, some people are like, what's the plot line? And let's figure this out. But you know, I, I admit it, like, blow something up, and I'm like, a moth to the flame. I'm there. Um, but there's other reasons why I've become a fan of these, this beloved trilogy. I've become a fan of how the movie and the movies, the trilogy, portrays metaphors for the Christian life. And we should not be surprised. Tolkien was a friend of C.S. Lewis and was said to be a, a Christian. One theme that I appreciate is that the ring symbolizes temptation. So if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know that's kind of the main focus here. What's up with this ring? And it symbolizes temptation. The temptation from the ring is perhaps one of the most dominant themes from beginning to end. 
I was chatting with my oldest daughter, Chloe, and she knows a lot about Lord of the Rings. Like, she's my, she's my source <laughs> to help me kind of put some thoughts together, right? And I asked her to tell, hey, tell me more about this, this ring. And her, her analysis was excellent. She said to me that Sauron, Sauron excuse me, is like Satan, and Sauron uses the ring to tempt the person who's holding the ring, right? If someone is not holding the ring, they're attempted to take the ring from the ring bearer. And you see that all throughout the trilogy. She also pointed out that the more the ring creates temptation, the more you have the ring, the more it creates temptation for the ring bearer. The greater the control the ring has over the individual. You know, at the, at the end of the last movie, um, The Return of the King, we see Frodo Baggins, who's been carrying this ring all throughout this journey, finally coming to the end of his journey. Coming to the end. The entire point of the trilogy is for Frodo to throw the ring into Mount Doom. He's right there on the edge. And what does he not do? Throw the ring in. The power of temptation consumed him. Everyone here who's seen that movie was like, throw it in, throw it in, please. And we're like, what just happened? You've taken me on this journey. And the temptation was too great. It took a fight between Gollum and Frodo for the ring to actually end up in the fire of Mount Doom. What can we learn from the Lord of the Rings? The ring represents greed and power. The ring is a constant temptation. The ring is a tool used by Sauron to enslave the ring bearer. The ring ending up in the, fire, in the fire was either a providential act or chance. Regardless, we see the power of temptation. The metaphor of the ring rings true in our lives. You know and I know that there are things that tempt us daily, every single day. Your temptation might be different from mine, Yet the end goal of the temptation is the same. Same. Satan aims to frustrate God's people through temptation. But temptation, to a certain degree, is a reality of life. And the Bible actually speaks plainly about temptation, the temptations you and I face. But when we pray to be delivered from temptation, there are promises that we can bank on. When we pray, Deliver us, O oh God, from temptation. There are promises. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. We read from Holy Scripture, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When temptation arises, God says one of two things is going to happen for you, Christian. You will overcome. You'll actually throw the ring into the fire of Mountain Doom. Or there will be an exit strategy. And oftentimes that exit strategy is really obvious. God is faithful to help you through the moments of trials and temptation. The phraseology of the sixth and final petition 
does cause us to ask some questions. Here's one. If we are to pray to God to lead us not into temptation, does that mean God can lead us into temptation? Right? Perhaps that's the most pressing question from this petition. The second question is this. What do we need to be delivered from? The answer to these two questions is essential because they tell us about the character of God. The nature and source of temptations tells us about who God is. If you are a Christian, you want to know that God is faithful when you are presented with trials and temptations. Now, before getting into the weeds and answering those questions, let's step back and look at the broader horizon for a moment. The broader horizon of this petition helps us understand why this petition is in the Lord's Prayer. As we back up, we need to remember that a Christian lives victorious because of the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you do not believe and remember your victory over sin and death because of Christ, the temptations and the trials you face will be crippling to you. It should be like that boulder that is sitting on your back. If you do not believe that you are victorious because of Christ, then you go into the battle without armor. It's like you go to the battle without the sword, without the shield, without the breastplate, etc. I've been reading um, On the Incarnation by Athanasius. I've been living in this for the last couple of weeks. It's been a joy. Uh, old dead guy, really good. Great theologian. He said this about the victorious life that Christians have because of Christ. He said that death has been dissolved and the cross has become victory over it and it is no longer strong but itself truly dead. No mean proof but an evident surety is that it is despised by all Christ's disciples and everyone tramples on it and no longer fears it but with the sign of the cross and faith in Christ, tread it underfoot as something dead. <laughs> yes and amen to Athanasius. Like when we approach this passage about temptation, we need to understand and remember and realize our victory that is found in the, in the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When a person has been given the gift of faith, death no longer needs to be feared, and sin has lost its power and sting. Christians live in victory because of Christ. But the Lord's Prayer does give us an honest assessment of the present evil that continues to persist in this world. One of the things I love about the Bible, it's, just, it's just brutally honest. While God in Christ has won the day in your heart, there is still a battle between the flesh and the spirit. You're still tempted to sin, right? As, as we read in Ephesians, you're still tempted to those old, foolish ways. The evil one is still on the prowl to frustrate God's people, right? And to tighten his grip upon those who do not know God. 
So we live in the tension of God's victory, yet realize there are temptations we face every single day. Here's a personal example of the temptation that I have in Christ, and yet what I continue to be tempted by this day. Um, Before the Holy Spirit revealed Christ to my cold, dead heart, I, I swore like a sailor, right, up until my early 20s. Every single word was fair game. What, who cared about the third commandment, you know? Parents, you would not have wanted your children around me. It's pretty bad. But then the Lord moved on my life. And in some areas, there was instant change. The moment I was saved, I, actually, I immediately stopped using the Lord's name in vain. Immediately. And then soon after, I began to realize the words that I was, I was using was like a small fire that can set ablaze an entire force, James 3.5. But day after day, year after year, I fought that temptation, right? When that car pulled out in front of me, you know, what's coming out of the mouth? <laughs> what's coming out of the heart and then the mouth? I must continue to fight to tame my tongue when I see evidence of injustice, for example. So the victory has been won, yes. And God has given me a tool. He's given me the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. Because of our victory in Christ and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we can approach God with this petition in boldness and humility. We approach God knowing he is good and faithful, but we are still prone to wander, right? Like Sean Powers is in the sheep pen, and I'm like, how do I get out of the sheep pen? You know? Prone to wander. I need to pray this petition individually, right? You need to pray this petition individually. Obviously, there's that corporate aspect that I mentioned. We need to pray and lead us not into temptation. Very plain very straightforward. When you pray this petition your heavenly fa- to your Heavenly Father, you acknowledge your need for help, right? You're saying, I need help, God, in this area. Whatever that temptation is, I need help from you. Now, one point of clarification. There is another strategy to employ, a few other strategies you can employ when you are tempted to sin. There's a time to pray, there is a time to fight, and there is a time to flee. In the context of sexual morality, we read these words. The Apostle Paul says, flee from sexual morality. You pray, Matthew 6.13, to keep you from a situation where you need to obey 1 Corinthians 6.18. You pray to be kept from the temptation of sexual morality. When you are in a situation where there is serious temptation, you grab your, your, pair, your best pair of running shoes, the ones that feel the most comfortable and allow you to run the fastest, and you flee. You flee. And yes, can you pray to be kept from temptation as you flee? Absolutely. But you flee. There's a time to pray, there's a time to fight, there's a time to flee. Sometimes we do all three at the same time. Listen to these wise words from another pastor. He said this, We ask God to lead us away from temptation, yet we must avoid temptation. 
We must make no provision for the lusts of the flesh. We should structure our lives so that it is harder to sin. Sometimes we structure our lives where we make it easier to sin. Uh, Doriani is right. There are specific temptations that require you to structure your life in such a way where you give as little opportunity as possible for the flesh. Here's just one more example from, from my own life. After the Lord saved me, I put covenant eyes on every single device that I owned. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Every single device. And then I moved in with a bunch of dudes, Christian dudes, who I knew were going to keep me accountable. Moved out with the girl that I was living with, moved in with a bunch of dudes who loved the Lord. We're going to keep me accountable. Fleeing sin does not get to the heart of why there is temptation, but it creates the space for God to work on the heart issues. Of course, some temptations act more like a test, which might be an opportunity to fight. In my experience, if Scripture is not clear about when to pray, fight, or flee, then instinctively, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we kind of know what to do. Now allow me to address the question that everyone brings up when this petition of the Lord's Prayer is diagnosed. If we are to pray to God to lead us not to temptation, does that mean God can lead a person into temptation? And the answer depends on what you mean by temptation. If temptation is defined as sin, then no, God does not entice a person into temptation. We read plainly in the book of James, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So that, that sin you've been tempted by, it's not from God. It's from your sinful flesh. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. In the context of James, an individual's sin is in view. God is not the author of sin. And God is not the cause of the temptation that lures you into sin. We are a uh, confessional church. Don't know if you knew that. Hope you do. And our confession of faith, which is deep and wide, says this. God has decreed in himself from all eternity, all things. It's just, that first line just screams the sovereignty of God. Whatever comes to pass by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably, yet he is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with anyone in sin. Meaning if you don't know Christ, you do not have fellowship with God. If you've not been justified, you do not have fellowship with God. God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin, which is why a person needs to be justified to have fellowship with God. So, God will not tempt a person into sin, period. But can the word temptation be understood in another way? Absolutely. God allowed Satan to sift Job. Right? Go to the Old Testament. In the story of Job, temptation means trials. What was the point of Job's trials? Well, God showed the wickedness of the evil one while at the same time refining the faith of Job. 
Now, is it reasonable to pray, Lord, do not lead me into the trials that Job went through? Yes, absolutely. Pray that, of course. But let's not forget that God allowed his son to be tempted by Satan. We read in Matthew, Matthew 4, that Satan tested Jesus. Let's take a look. We read, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's that word. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, right, Satan, the tempter called the tempter here, came and said to him, now I'm just going to pause before I go any further. I want you to make a connection of how Jesus is being tempted by Satan and how you are tempted in your everyday life. After making the connection, I hope you see the importance of pleading with God not to be led into temptation. The first temptation from Satan is about pleasure. Satan says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You know, Jesus could have done that. We read in the Gospels that he multiplied fish and bread, turned water into wine. He walked on water. He controlled the wind. Could he have not turned a few rocks into bread? Certainly he could have. Remember, Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. And Satan reminded him of the pleasure of food. On a pure rational level, it would seem okay for Jesus to have a bit of food. If I were there, I would have grabbed the water jar and the bread and walked right up to Jesus and say, take it, just take it. But there's, more, there's a more significant spiritual battle between good and evil taking place. The battle is about overcoming temptation. And Jesus is not going to take the bait. So he responds to Satan by saying, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Christian, you need to remember that when you face temptation, there is a spiritual battle that is directly tethered to your physical reality. A spiritual battle that is directly connected and tethered to your physical reality. To fight the temptation of Satan, our Lord quotes Scripture, in particular Deuteronomy 8.3. What value is physical bread compared to God's words that give life? That's Jesus' response to Satan. You give me physical bread, that's fine. I got something more valuable than physical bread. Jesus knows that the path of deliverance is to cling to the truth. So the story continues. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God. See, now, see how Satan's questioning Jesus just as he questioned Adam and Eve in the garden, in particular Eve. If you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike a foot against a stone. So after Satan tempts with pleasure, he now tempts with pride. Satan is basically saying to Jesus, prove it. Prove it. Prove to me that you are as powerful as you say, and show me that the angels will follow your command. 
And this time, Satan does more than make a claim. He quotes Scripture. He quotes Psalm 91. And notice how a sinful motive will allow for the twisting of Scripture. If that happens, a partial truth, which is a lie, can lead you down the wrong path. But our Lord appeals to truth one more time. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Out in the middle of the desert, Jesus and Satan are like having a Bible memory contest, right? Just quoting scripture. But the battle royale makes two points. Number one, memorizing and knowing scripture can be a path away from temptation. When you're tempted, know your Bible. Number two, Satan knows scripture and Satan will use scripture falsely to lead you into temptation. He will take the truth and twist the truth into a lie. Now here's the last temptation. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll just give to you if you will fall down and worship me. What does Satan offer Jesus now? What does he tempt him now with? Power. For a moment, consider the options in front of Jesus. Jesus could forego the suffering and the cross if he accepted Satan's offer. Right? Again, from a rational perspective, Satan's offer is appealing. No suffering and pain, but all the power in the world. There are a lot of people who've taken that deal from Satan. <laughs> right? I'll give you power, but you got to worship me. But not Jesus. I want you to hear this line. The resolve of the second Adam is greater than the resolve of the first Adam. See that? The resolve of the second Adam, Jesus, is greater than the resolve of the first Adam. I imagine Jesus saying the following with a sense of authority and anguish because he was fasting for 40 days. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. On any given day, at any given moment, you can be tempted by pleasure that you should not engage, right? You can be tempted to prove yourself with sinful motives. You can be tempted to grasp power by the wrong means. Every day, there is temptation lurking around the corner. It's like you have the ring of power in your pocket, and it's constantly calling you to put it on. Because temptation lurks around the corner, we need to pray this petition. We also need to pray the second half of this petition, which is, but deliver us from evil. The word deliver in Greek is ruhamai. It has significant meaning that can, can, that can be traced all throughout the Bible. The second most prominent historical example of deliverance is Israel's exodus from Egypt. The Egyptians enslaved God's people, and God delivered them from the grip of Pharaoh. I said the exodus of God's people from Egypt is the second most prominent example of deliverance in the Bible. The most notable example of deliverance is the work of Jesus Christ. 
The spiritual deliverance of Christ has freed His people from the power of death and sin. But as we have seen, just because you have been delivered from, power, from the power of death and sin does not mean death and sin do not cease to frustrate your life. We need to continue to pray, Oh God, deliver me, deliver Sean Powers from evil. To use a military analogy for a moment, the worst kind of soldier is the one who is complacent. The worst kind of soldier is the one who's sleeping on duty. The worst kind of soldier is passive in his duty. A good soldier is active. A good soldier is praying to be delivered from the evil one. And more than praying from evil, I think the most accurate translation is what I just said, evil one. Now both translations work, evil, evil one. But allow me to tease out the need to pray to be delivered from the evil one. In C.S. Lewis's The Scriptate Letters, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to do so, we read about uh, two demons. They are tasked with frustrating a person's relationship with God. The name of the person is patient. Think uh, you're a patient in a doctor's office. Screwtape is the mentor, and uh, he's to train this other demon, Wormwood. One of the tactics used to frustrate a person's relationship with God is through various temptations. So one temptation after another. Wormwood is being trained by Screwtape. This, this, is, this is a temptation you can use to frustrate this person's relationship with God. You can use this particular temptation to make patients complacent with God. Over and over, <laughs> screw tape letters seems to pull back the curtain about how the evil one tricks and tempts. Therefore, we do need to pray, oh God, deliver me from the deceptions and temptations of the evil one. Our, our petition is a reminder that there is an evil one who is against God and against the people of God. And we are to pray earnestly, knowing we have been delivered ultimately from the evil one, while at the same time, knowing the tricks of the devil continue to remain. The evil one can take ground at the slightest notion of doubt or a moment of discouragement. Or because of the time that you truly sinned and you know you sinned, you forget the promise that you've been forgiven of your sin. We pray this petition so that we can give no room for the evil one to work and deceive. In John 17, Jesus is praying, knowing that he will be betrayed. Jesus knows the road ahead of him, and yet he prays this for his disciples. He prays to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Let that land on you. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus mediates on our behalf that the Father would keep us from the evil one, and Jesus instructs us also to pray in the same way. So we can make this connection between Jesus' very personal prayer to the Father with how Jesus is now instructing us to pray. Last week, we looked at the petition on forgiveness, and we bumped into a Christian paradox and perhaps we're bumping into another paradox. You have been delivered, Christian, and yet you need to continue to pray to be delivered from the temptations of the evil, evil one. Before landing the plane here, I have a few more thoughts about this petition. First, as you pray, do not forget that you've been redeemed. Do not forget, Christian, that you've been redeemed. The Lord's Prayer is for Christians. And the plea of this petition 
shows us how to pray as a redeemed one. So pray as a redeemed one, knowing that your victory has been found in Christ. Second, we pray, fight, and flee temptation until the Lord returns. When the Lord returns, temptations will cease. Sin will be done away, done away with. The toils and struggles of this world will be no longer. Until then, glory does await for all the redeemed. Glory awaits, but we continue to fight the good fight of faith. And then last, I want to leave you with this passage from the book of Hebrews. That should give you confidence to resist, a confidence that is only found in Christ. Gives you a confidence to resist the temptations you face. We read this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Because that is who our God is, right? There's a proclamation being made here. Therefore, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, that's a great passage to make a beeline to when you feel like you're being tempted. Go right there. And I understand that to explain this passage rightly requires like another sermon. But here's what you need to know as you pray about temptation in your life. Jesus, the great high priest, the final and ultimate sacrifice, and your mediator before the Father, guess what? He sees your weakness. He sees my weakness. The word sympathize also means compassion. He has compassion upon your weakness. When you face temptation, you need to remember that you have a Savior who understands your temptations better than you understand your temptations. Yet he is without sin. Because of Christ, you can draw near to God in prayer. God extends his mercy to all his sons and daughters. It says in verse 16 that God helps you when you draw near to him, right? When you draw near to God, he helps you. But here's the deal, and this is, this is the encouragement. Draw near. Have you been tempted this morning? Draw near. Going to be tempted later? Draw near. Draw near to a gracious Father that awaits you with open arms. Draw near to a Father that hears your prayer and helps you to fight and flee the temptations that you face. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.